Father, we praise you for that powerful message, this powerful truth. There is no, there is no pit, no amount of destruction that can separate us, that brings us outside the reach of your love, God. Father, I pray that as we move into this time and we look at your word this morning, those places where shame and fear might be present in us, that you would speak to those places with your love through your word this morning. Open our minds and hearts to your challenge, to your encouragement, and to your conviction. Holy Spirit, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. What a powerful, uh, powerful message. This ain't no grave. It says there's no pit. There's no destruction that places me outside the reach of love. So that is a, a beautiful, a powerful message. And the question is, is it true? Is there a love that is deep enough that can reach me and rescue me at my particular level of hurt or need or wrongdoing. And the first question I want you to uh, consider this morning, I want you to think about your particular level of hurt and need and wrongdoing. Pardon me while I bring this up. Um, So is your particular level of hurt need and wrongdoing, is it, is it like this cup? I mean, you, your pit, your, your level of need is, is about the size of this little cup. Or would you look at your level of hurt, need, and wrongdoing and say, no, actually, um, it's, it's a little more like this, this normal cup. Um, this, this represents my level of hurt, need, and wrongdoing. Or would you examine your uh, level of hurt, wrong, uh, hurt, need, and wrongdoing and say, no, truth is, it's more like this bucket. I am a bucket of hurt, need, and wrongdoing. What I want us to do as we reflect on that this morning, the, the question is, is there a love that can reach and rescue us if this... This little ball here, it re- this represents us. If, if I drop it in here, is there a love that is deep and long enough to reach me in my place down there in my place of hurt and need and wrongdoing? So our task today is to examine just such a love that Paul prays that we would grasp. So we've heard this, um, we've read it and looked at it in Ephesians 3. We're going to start in the halfway through verse 17, where Paul is praying and writing. And he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's what we're exploring this morning, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So incidentally, when um, earlier in this series, David was talking about the love of God is perfectly represented in the person of Christ. So, so when I talk about um, the love of God and the love of Christ in this context of this message, those two are, are, are synonymous terms, love of Christ love of God. And our, our, 
task this morning is to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. This is an incredibly huge and beautiful truth when we say that simple phrase that Paul prays, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. So anytime I say that, I'm going to say that like 20 times throughout this message. When you hear that, if, if, you, begin to re, if you begin to think about the huge reality and the truth that this represents, if an amen wells up in you and you shout out amen whenever I say the wide, long, high, deep and love of God, then that's just fine. You, you don't have to do that, but it's perfectly appropriate. Yeah. Amen. So I want to start looking at that this morning with uh, looking at Exodus 34, verse 6. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, we read this. And he, that is God, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, in, in love and faithfulness. So the Lord, he is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. All of those words are describing the love of God. So my first question is this, um, this compassion and grace, slow to anger, abiding in love and faithfulness. In what context is that happening? In what context is God that way? And I ask that because I think of my own experience and I can picture my children, especially kind of between the ages of four and six, when they're pretty cuddly still, but they can articulate some, some sweet things. And I can picture myself on the couch and one of my children comes up to me, snuggles in tight to me and, and tells me what a fantastic daddy I am. Um, oh, what an awesome thing to hear. And do you know, when, when my children cuddle up next to me and, and praise me for being a wonderful daddy, do you know that I am compassionate and gracious? I am slow to anger. I am abounding in love and faithfulness. In those moments, I'm like the perfect father. I am following that verse perfectly. Yet, that doesn't say a lot about the width and length and height and depth of my love. So, so what about in the context, are you uh, compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness in the context of your child as they lie to you about his or her disobedience? Or what about in the context of the stranger who cuts you off when you're driving? or the person who speaks ill of you for their own uh, advantage, or the friend who betrays your trust. Are we compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness in those circumstances? Because if we are, then that gives some significant evidence to the width and length and height and depth of our love. So in Exodus 34, 6, we, we see the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness in the context of what? So we'll check that out. We'll look at Exodus uh, 34 again and remind ourselves of the context here. The book of Exodus um, the, the title is a hint. It's about the Exodus, God's incredible, miraculous um, uh, saving and redeeming of the Israelite people in their helping them exit, get out of Egypt and this oppressive rule of the Egyptian uh, people. 
So in, in Exodus 1 through 12, we can read about these, these plagues that God sends and, this, and the Passover, and he brings them out in this miraculous way. And as the Israelites come out of Egypt, then God is present in this pillar of cloud um, by day. When the cloud moves, then they move. When it stops, then they stop. He's present in a, a pillar of fire at night so that they can see it again. When it moves, they move. When it stops, they stop. So he is leading them in these obvious ways. They come to the Red Sea and they can't get past it. And this army is coming behind them. The Egyptian army, they changed their mind. They're running after the Israelites. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea and they walk through on dry land. And as they get through in the other side and the Egyptian army is still coming after them, then the waters crash down and drown the entire Egyptian army. This provision, miraculous provision of God over and over again to the Israelite people. They get into the desert and their food is hard to find. So what does God do? He provides this bread-like substance for them that shows up every morning on the ground, except for the Sabbath, where it didn't show up on the Sabbath, but twice as much that is, was necessary showed up on the day before. So God's provision, miraculous provision, is, is, is incredible. And this is what the Israelite people are experiencing. And then we have this time where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to, to speak with the Lord, to receive his law, and he's up there for about 40 days. And, and here what the, the Israelites start to, to think about, and in Exodus 32, um, uh, verse 1, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come. Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. We don't, we're giving up on Moses and his God after all this incredible provision. And let's just make our own gods. And, and we see the Israelite people rebelling in this kind of way. And after God's incredible provision and care for them and leading them and so God, it makes sense that he would be upset. And Moses comes to God and Moses says, God, teach us your ways and show us your glory. And how does God respond? That's the context of Exodus 34, 6. You know what God does? He, he teaches them his ways and he shows them his glory. He, he shows them his, that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's who God is. That's who he is in the midst of his people praising him, and that's who he is in the midst of his people rebelling against him. Those weak and tired, impatient and ungrateful, disobedient bunch of Israelites encounter the abounding love of God. Much of the rest of the Old Testament, as we read it, is story after story of this abounding love of God reaching out, pursuing the Israelites in the midst of their rebellion. We read this over and over again. When God loves in that context, we see new levels of the wide, long, high, and deep love of God. You know, I imagine the, the Israelites, they, many of them may have seen themselves as this you know, this represents my um, need, hurt, and wrongdoing. And, and we may look and say, no, you know, no, they, this, 
This doesn't represent their, their uh, need, hurt, and wrongdoing. These Israelites, this bucket represents their huge depth, huge, long, wide, high, deep amount of need, hurt, and wrongdoing. King David, he reflects back on this Exodus 34 experience that, that describes when Moses encountered the glory of God. And, and David as well is reflecting on that, and he's reflecting on his own experience when he writes Psalm 103, and I want to read the words of just the first eight verses in Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. So the Hebrew word uh, translated pit here is, it means destruction and peril. The Lord redeems our life from the pit. If we, we think about the Lord's power of redemption, his love that is reaching down into whatever pit we find ourselves in, and he redeems us from the pit. He lifts us out of the pit. So David remembers his own, his own experience of being in a pit and being lifted out of that pit, that place of destruction, by, by the very love of God. When you think of David's experience of, of being in the pit, being in a place of destruction, David um, was guilty of adultery, was guilty of murder. So this is a significant, perhaps I should have put it here, this is a significant pit that David is reflecting back on in his own life. He, he worships this God who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who, this God who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord's righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. So David is, is reflecting back on that, that uh, encounter, that Exodus 34 encounter. He says, he made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Sound familiar? Slow to anger, abounding in love. So, so David reflects back in this beautiful way, and I think it's worth for us um, to be reflecting in this way. How have you experienced this kind of love in the face of trampling over God's provisions for you and God's specific commands for you? How have you experienced this kind of love in the face of trampling over God's gracious provision and his specific commands. As you reflect on your own experience of this, uh, Eric is going to come up and share some of his experience. And Eric, uh, I so appreciate his courage and his honesty. And his story is his story of being redeemed, being brought out of his particular pit. He's going to share that with us. So, Eric, first of all, what, what was going on in your life and how did it impact your relationship with God? So, for 20 years, uh, I had an addiction to pornography. Uh, I kept it secret from everyone, especially my wife, Laura. Uh, this led me to significant feelings of self-hatred for most of my life. 
At times, I felt abandoned by God, and I was always scared that everyone else would leave me if they knew. I was swallowed up by shame, uh, which caused me to live two lives. One where I played the part of a good Christian, a good husband, and a good father. And the other where I was completely broken inside, and uh, I was trapped in a cycle of sin, shame, uh, a promise to change, and then failure. Uh, During that time, I did know and I did believe in God, uh, but because of the lies and the shame, uh, I did not have a personal relationship with him, and I isolated myself from him. Uh, I found that I could not seek to please God while still pleasing the flesh. Uh, I did want freedom from that addiction, from the shame and the fear, uh, but in order to overcome it, I knew that I would have to be honest about it and get help. Um, And I was completely convinced that if Laura knew, uh, she would take the kids and leave me. And I I couldn't handle that thought. So how did God soften your heart? God had been working in me uh, for many years. Uh, Like I mentioned, I wanted that freedom. Uh, But because I couldn't face the hard truth of being honest, uh, I was trapped. For years, I cried out daily, uh, asking him to free me from the brokenness inside and help me to live a life for him and for my family. Each time, he answered my prayers, or he he answered my cries with a promise. Uh, I heard his voice clearly, and I knew he was there and was listening, but it was never the answer that I wanted. Uh, I, I, I knew that he was telling me that if I just told Laura, I could be free. Uh, there were times that I came close to telling her, but then I would contemplate it and allow fear to back me into my corner of shame. And it felt like my soul was shattered. Uh, and each time I failed to confess it, it further shattered, or it, it, it broke into more pieces. Um, One weekend, though, Laura and I went to a marriage retreat, and I was once again convicted by one of the speakers saying that porn is like cancer, and the only way to treat it is to aggressively attack it, as though I were fighting for my life. And so at the lowest point in my life, um, I finally accepted that if I want freedom, I can only be free through God's grace. And that meant following his commands even if I lost everyone that I loved. So what happened in your relationship with God after you confessed to the Lord and sought his help? He was true to his promise, and though it was the hardest thing that I had ever done in my life, as I spent the night pouring out my heart and my sins to both Laura and to God, uh, I felt a freedom come over me uh, that I had never felt before. I felt him guiding us as we made plans for my recovery and for the restoration in our marriage. Triggers that used to send me into a tailspin of acting out uh, no longer had a hold on me. And although the temptation did not disappear completely, it lessened considerably. And when faced with prayer, it fled every time. With God's help, though, I was able to pursue healing aggressively. I followed each prompting that he gave. 
I learned how to battle the addiction, the temptation, and my triggers. And uh, praise God, since November 4th, 2017, I have not looked at porn or even wanted to. Praise God. What, what happened when your guilt and shame collided with God's love? To put it simply, I was redeemed. Uh, through the two years uh, that, that it's been, my mind has been continually renewed. Our marriage has not only been restored, but it's stronger than it ever was before. Uh, the broken, secret life that I once lived has been washed away, and all that remains is God's love and forgiveness. He has taken my shame and replaced it with a desire to use my past uh, to reach others who might still be struggling with uh, struggles of addiction to sexual sin. Uh, and finally, after so long, he has formed a deep, personal, and intimate relationship with me. And because Laura's at home taking care of two sick kids, I'll just say this for her. I have seen him do an amazing work in her life as well, as he gave her the ability and grace to forgive me, uh, though it took a long time, and to seek him as her refuge, and to lean on his understanding of love and grace. Praise God for his work. Um, there is, uh, Eric and Laura have been so gracious to steward their experience and share it with the body of Christ. Uh, they, there is a video where the, both of them are speaking on a video and you can hear um, more of their story. And, and the place you can go see that video is on, the link is on the um, screens. And I encourage you to go there and be encouraged by this story of healing, the story of redemption, the story of the wide, long, high and deep love of God. And you can share it with others that you think would be encouraged and helped by this story. Uh, thanks, Eric, for the courage to share with us this morning. There are a lot of things that are moving to me about Eric and Laura's story. Um, shame and fear, the, the shame and fear that we sang about this morning, shame and fear were the prison, the pit, the place of destruction where Eric was stuck. And while shame and fear kept him in that place, in that pit for some time, eventually, even, even all along that time, the wide, long, high, deep love of God was reaching out to him and letting him know at each step, he was just one step away from experiencing that love of God. For Eric, it was the, the step of confessing to his wife. This story moves me for, for many reasons, and one of those being that it expands my understanding of the wide, long, high, deep love of God. Depending on your season in life, and, and in some ways, depending on your temperament, you may react to this testimony in, in some different ways. Many in this room are struck in a, um, in similar shame, and, or they're stuck in similar shame and destruction. And believing that the lie that says you are outside of the reach of the love of God, your pit is too deep for God's love to reach you. Please hear the proclamation of truth from Psalm 103 that says there is no pit, there is no pit 
that you can be stuck in that is outside of the reach of the wide, long, high, and deep love of God. You know, there are others in this room where um, you look at the Israelites and their idol worship. They're, you know, moving into this, making um, golden, uh, a golden calf to worship. And, and, and you look at an addiction like the one that Eric was redeemed from. And, and you say, you know what, that's, that's not me. My, my pit's not that deep. My pit's not that wide. <laughs> Therefore, I don't require the reach. I don't, I don't require that much love or reach from God. See, because when I look at my good deeds and my relatively, relative lack of horrible deeds, um, I, I'm actually a little bit closer to God. I don't require that long of a reach from him. And that's when I'm reminded that the, the Christian worldview is perhaps the only worldview that is not about some sort of accounting of good deeds and bad deeds. When you are adding up your good deeds and your bad deeds in some way to, um, to assure you of peace with God, then, then you have stepped away from the Christianity that the Bible teaches. The gospel declares that everyone, regardless of our mix of good deeds and bad deeds, everyone is a failure, utterly unable to, to own, um, on our own, to have the power to step into peace with God, to experience the love of God. That which we were created for, that which brings us life. We are utterly unable on our own power to step into that. It is, it is a pit that is too deep and wide for us to get out of. So we need to understand that biblical Christianity, faith in Christ, is it's by grace. It's by grace that I can ever get out of this pit. It's by grace because I am in need. I am in need I am in need to fully grasp this, this gospel message. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. So our pit, whether we think this is it or this is it or this bucket is it, our pit is actually exponentially larger than this bucket. It is bigger than we would believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. To fully grasp the wide, long, high, and deep love of God is to own your own fallenness. Whether, whether you think about your fallenness, whether that's adultery or lying, whether it's murder or whether it's pride, Confess your failure to live in perfect obedience to the living God and know that it is your failure that separates you from peace with God, from experiencing the love of God. It's not the amount of your failure. It's the existence of your failure. Own your failure. Now, to admit that, that, to admit that, that, that I am this huge bucket of need, hurt, and wrongdoing, to admit that absent the gospel message is a death sentence. No wonder it's difficult. 
No wonder we live in a world of people who either deny, um, they drown in despair because of their, their failed state, or they might just deny or ignore their pit um, out of arrogance or, or simply being naive. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ, only the wide, long, high, deep love of God can bring us life in the midst of our pit, can bring us up out of our pit. I grow in grasping the wide, long, high, and deep love of God when I own my own state of fallenness. And, and when I own my own state of fallenness, again, not the amount, but the existence of, when I own that, then, then this beautiful thing happens that, that the love, the wide, long, high, and deep love of the Lord reaches me and begins to carry me away into the tide that is his love. As Eric described, as he, as he took that step and he confessed to his wife and therefore a more genuine confession to the Lord, the Lord's love reached him and took him away into this beautiful place, carrying him out of the pit that he had been stuck in. So the two steps that I really want to press us to be thinking about this morning, and that is number one, to confess our need. And number two, to receive his love. It is more than enough to bring us out of our deep pit of need, hurt, and wrongdoing. Whether your need, hurt, and wrongdoing seems small or medium or huge or bigger, it is what is separating you from the love of God. And, and here's what happens. When you confess your need, it's as if there's this invisible lid over this bucket or this cup. And confessing your need is like removing the invisible lid from this bucket of need. And that's a scary thing to do because when we remove this lid, then all of a sudden, my need, hurt, and wrongdoing is exposed. And others can see how great and deep and horrible is my need, hurt, and wrongdoing. To remove that lid, to confess that need is a scary thing. But, but here's what happens. And in that, we question, you know, can, can God's love reach? Is it high and deep and long and wide enough to reach into my extent of need, hurt, and wrongdoing? And I think of the, if you can picture the Pacific Ocean and a container that gathers up the water of the Pacific Ocean, that's what we're looking at when we look at the wide, long, high, and deep love of God. And if you ask yourself, is, there, is, is that wide, long, high, and deep enough to bring me out of my particular pit? Is it? Well, holy mackerel, it is. It, it should blow our minds to realize I, I can't question whether or not that kind of love is going to fill this pit. May it be that we would see this wide, long, high, deep love of Christ for what it is. It is immense, and it can come in and lift me out of whatever pit of hurt, need, and wrongdoing I find myself in. The, the two things that, that I really want you to be thinking, as I mentioned, this confessing our need and receiving his love. 
what I want to do as we close, I, I want you to just spend a few minutes. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to spend a few minutes in silence. And whether that's you picking up a pencil and jotting some things down in your notes, or whether it's you just asking these two questions in your mind, I, I would love for you to take a few minutes and to have a quiet conversation with the Lord that says, Lord, um, tell me about my need for you. Remind me of my need for you. Um, Help, help me admit, God, to my need for you. Spend a moment in conversation with the Lord, confessing your need. And then take a moment to step into this second thing of, of receiving his love. Look at the love that Paul describes in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18 as this wide, long, high and deep love. And take a moment to just say, God, show me. Show me the width and length and depth and height of this love that I read about. So I'm going to pray, and then I want you to take a few minutes to have that conversation with the Lord. Father, it is for this reason, for this reason of what you've done and who you are, it is for this reason that we kneel before the Father from whom his whole family on heaven and earth derives its name. And, and we pray that out of your glorious riches, God, you may strengthen us with your power through your spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that, that being rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love, God. Hear our conversation with you now. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.